you know, not much different than you would, you know, growing up with Vision. I rode a bike when I was a kid. That was fun. Let's see, I did roller skating. I did everything that you might do as a sighted individual. It was interesting. I could do it. Basically, I would ride along the sidewalk. I wouldn't ride in the, in the streets. So there's, you know, and, you know, I occasionally bounced off some things. Uh, I think I ran into the occasional tree. You know, no real damage. That was Mark Royman, a member of the Out of Sight Dragons. The Out of Sight Dragons is a dragon boat team whose paddlers are blind or visually impaired. And this is episode three of the Out of Sight Dragons podcast. Here we are with Mark Royman, episode three of the Out of Sight Dragons podcast. Thanks for doing this, Mark. Hey, good morning, everybody. So good how morning. did you become involved with the Out of Sight Dragons? Well, I knew about the team before I joined. I, I, I knew I know Sarah Presley. I've known Sarah for a number of years. And she mentioned it to me back, God, I think it might have been 2012, 2013 time frame. And of course, she's been involved since the beginning. But she mentioned to me back then, and I went to a fundraiser in 2013 that they had, and she kept mentioning mentioning it to me. So in 2014, I thought, well, you know, I like boats. I like water. Why not? And I've paddled a canoe before, so it was a little different than it's diff- different different than paddling a canoe, but it's similar. So I figured, well, hey, why not? And I went out for the first practice. I, I've, I've been on the team ever since. What was that first practice experience like for you? It was a workout because you're out there for an hour. And of course, the first practice, if there are a lot of people on the team, and there were that year, Coach Winky is usually pretty good on us because you're learning the strokes, you're learning the, the calls, the, the, the coach, the different things that the coach says to tell you what, what she wants you guys to do. It was different. It was fun. Definitely a workout. My body talked to me the next day, but it was fun. And so I, I kept going back and we had uh, our first festival in May of that year, uh, in 2014. Of course, the festival, the the Dragonwood Festival that's in D.C. is a two-day event that is held usually every May. That year, actually, I'm sorry, that, that year in 2014, they actually postponed it because of the rain. The river was so high they couldn't race and because it's on the Potomac itself. And of course, you had, with the river being so high, you had debris and other stuff. And so they postponed it until June of that year. The day is three 250-meter races and the second day is two 500-meter races. And on the first day, we actually in the third race, which is the medal run, we came in second, so we got silver, which was kind of fun. It's kind of fun first year, and you end up winning a silver medal, silver medal for the first, basically, race you're in, which was kind of nice. So you've fun. been on the team. You just finished your fourth season. Yes. I didn't really race last year because I had some, some back issues, but yeah, I was, um, yeah, but this is uh, about fourth season, basically, yeah. So going yeah. back to the first time you went to a practice, you you mentioned that you had been in a canoe before, but it had, yeah, it had been in, it had been years. <laughs> okay, so what was it like getting in the boat the first time? Not pretty, not pretty difficult. I was, you know, they they're pretty good at showing you where the boat is and making sure you don't, you know, fall in because the boat's really close to the dock anyway. So. You just have to be really careful, stay low, so you don't tilt the boat, because it is, you are fairly low to the water in the, in a dragon boat, and especially if there are more people in the boat when you load it, the more people the more people get in the boat, the heavier the boat becomes, and of course you're lower down to the water you are. So you just have to be very careful when you're sitting down, and sit basically with your hips to the, the gunnel or the side of the boat, so you balance it out. The boat empty weighs about 1,500 to 2,000 pounds, and then you add, you figure, 20 paddlers, a steer, maybe a coach. Usually we had a steer, a coach, and a drummer. 
So you've added 23 people to that, and you so said that adds a lot more weight, which lowers the boat. I remember a number of times at practices, I could reach down out of the boat with my right hand, which is usually uh, well, whichever whichever side you're on the you're on the water with, I could reach down and, and feel actually the underside of the boat because you're so close to the water, you can really re- reach down into it, and which which is good because then you you're not struggling to you know move the boat along. But it was it was interesting getting in the first time. It was I was on the left side, if memory serves. Next to Richard, uh, who you'll probably talk to at some point on one of these podcasts, you're when you're first practiced, you're 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 figuring out what length of paddle you need. So I think I was using a 47 or 48 at the time, and I realized that was the length of paddle that I liked because you want to use a paddle that's long enough that you can reach down to the water, but not one that's too long because if it's too long, you can't really move it back and forth rapidly enough. But you don't want it to be too short either. The paddles come in different different weights, of course, different sizes as well. So you've got different lengths. But they're also, they can be made of wood, which are fairly heavy. They can be made of a, a plastic or a composite or a combination of plastic and wood or carbon fiber. And after racing for a while the first season, after the uh, the festival, and the festival we actually, the first year of the festival lab was at 2014, they actually had wooden paddles and they were very heavy because they're, they're long, they're heavy wooden paddles. And the second day we, the first day we used the wooden ones and the second day we used um, some fiberglass ones that we had and I liked those a little better. So I actually thought about buying one shortly after that and ended up by, I bought one before our next race, which was in August of that year. I bought a carbon fiber paddle and that was much lighter than the wooden ones. Race qualified, so I had no problem using it, but it was very light, maybe 13 ounces, really, really light paddle. Really easy to wield in the boat, but long enough that I could use it effectively. So, so you mentioned knowing Sarah, who was an early member. Yes. And she encouraged you for a few years to join. She did. Was there anything else that motivated you to take her up on her offer? That, you know, and I figured, I like I said, I, I, I like boats, I like water. I figured it would be good exercise. I never had, I really hadn't done sports in the past, so I figured, well, this, you know, I, I, you know why not? The exercise will be good. You know, it was a good group of people. I knew some of them besides Sarah as well. I knew Regina and Sam and a couple of people so I figured you know hey good group of people uh, sounds like it might be a fun sport and so I decided to try it out so I know that you're married I met your wife yes today what did she think about you joining this team <laughs> she she didn't have a problem with it she thought it would be you know kind of fun to do so yeah she was she was kind of fun she likes hearing I record some of the races and some other stuff so she likes hearing those when I when I bring the recordings back does your wife also go to the races not usually is your wife a sighted person she is visually impaired as well sorry you said her name is Anne it is how did you meet Anne we met back in college way a long time ago, back in 1990 at Miami University of Ohio, which we, we, we both attended as students, and met there, dated for a bit, and both ended up, we kept in touch after she left Miami, and then we, we both ended up back out here, or rather out here in about the late 90s, and then got back together again, and uh, eventually I got married in 2005, coming up on 12 years next weekend, as a matter of fact. And have you always been blind? Yes, I actually was born visually impaired. Well, I was born early, and that caused some issues that uh, caused the loss of my vision. But uh, that was not a problem. Uh, I've grown up as a, a blind individual, that, knowing that I can try and do different things. My uh, my mother was very encouraging of me trying different things. She would have been happy to know that I uh, I'm doing the dragon boat the dragon boat racing. I think she would have enjoyed seeing it. She passed on several years ago, but I think she would have liked it. Where did you grow up? I grew up in southwestern Ohio, near uh, near Cincinnati, a little bit north, a town called Hamilton. Grew up there, moved to D.C. in 98. Did you have siblings growing up? Nope. <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about what it was like growing up without your sight? Sure. You know, not much different than you would, you know, growing up with vision, except, you know, I rode a bike when I was a kid. That was fun. Let's see. I did roller skating. I did everything that you might do as a sighted individual, but, you know, I didn't drive, of course. 
well, not officially. How would you ride a bike? It was interesting. I could do it. I basically, rode, I would ride along the sidewalk. I wouldn't ride in the, in the streets. So there's, you know... And, you know, I occasionally bounced off some things. Uh, I think I ran into the occasional tree. You know, no real damage. But did it pretty well. So your mom had a lot of confidence in you? Oh, and, yeah. And yeah, she encouraged me encouraged to try new things. You. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's oh, yeah. I rode a bike, shoveled snow, mowed the lawn. So all the all the stuff you'd expect a normal person to, would do. Just uh, didn't have any vision doing it. What was it like for you in school? Not bad. I had a lot of friends in school. Learned the buildings I was in pretty easily. With the light, what the light of the buildings was, so that was easily done. The halls would kind of get a little busy when the class was, sta- was changing, but that was not a problem. Some of the resources we have, the students have now are better than they were back when I was in school because you didn't have all the digital and all the advanced technologies that we have now that students are using. But uh, we had uh, we, we had stuff that let us record classes and take notes, and that worked pretty well. Did uh, you do reading in Braille? I did. Yeah, a lot of the a lot of, a lot of books in Braille, uh, and of course Braille is very bulky. So a combination of that and books on tape. So, because it was before you had uh, digital content and CDs, uh, back in the 90s, we had a lot of books on tape and, uh, and you know, a combination of Braille books as well, but like I said, Braille is fairly bulky. really wouldn't carry your Braille books to class because you'd be carrying <laughs> 10 pounds of books. And you were going to school with sighted Oh, yeah, yeah, I was mainstreamed all the way through. So I had, it was a regular public school. My graduating class had over 2,000, or my, I'm sorry, my, uh, my high school had over 2,000 uh, students in it graduating class of probably about 500 or 500 or 600 students. What was the process for you when it came to taking exams? Uh, they would either be brailled or and I would read them in braille and take them that way and write them answers down on the on the, on the computer. I think back then it was the Apple uh, PC, not uh, not PCs but the Apple computers. Write the answers down either on, on the computer or in or in braille for a uh, teacher of the visually impaired to then send back to the student or if I, if I wrote them on the computer I could just print them out and give them to the teacher that way. What do you think about all the technology changes? So you were in college in the early 90s? Well, I was, yeah. So so much has changed in the last 25 plus years. There's been a lot. There really has been. I mean you didn't have uh, back when I was you know, in college you just the internet basically was just getting started and so I took advantage of some of that. Some of those early search engines. I mean I remember using LexisNexis back in the day to search for stuff and it's still around, but back then it wasn't easy to, it wasn't as easy to access. So it's been really, really cool to see the, the the advances in technology. What's the software that you use to work on a computer now? I use a program called Jaws for Windows, which is uh, one of the major Windows screen readers out there. Back in the nineties I used a well, I first used an Apple and then I switched to a, a DOS program that did similar similar stuff. It was another what they call a screen reading program, which basically uh, screen convert, reading screen reading yeah yeah it converts the screen content into either synthesized speech or uh, refreshable Braille. So there are there are Braille displays out there you can where you can read actually in Braille the uh, the content that's on the screen, and those have come the uh, screen reading technology has come a long way too from from the DOS days to early Windows and now it's in Windows 10 and, and of course the Apple products have their own. Screening, screen reading technology built in that, that Apple uh, has developed and Windows is working on their own. Windows has got one as well that's making significant progress because the regular software that's out there for screening technology, JAWS and some of the other ones, can be fairly expensive. But it's just amazing that now, because back in the early 90s, you had to wait that there was a big technology gap between what was accessible to people who were using screen reading technology and everybody else. And now when, for example, a new version of Windows comes out or a new version of the Apple software, the Apple operating system, 
there's already there are it's already accessible to the screen readers that are out there like JAWS and there's another one out there called Non-Visual Desktop Access which is a free one from Australia that is probably comparable to JAWS in in uh, level of access um, and it's very really really cool to see all that stuff developed over the past 25 years yeah. and you make your living now in the tech field I do my background in college I I, I have a degree in international international studies with with minors in geography and economics. I was looking for jobs in that field, but then in 98, I got a call from a guy out here. Uh, he'd met Ann, and he was, was looking for an AT trainer to uh, help with a company he was starting, an assistive technology trainer. Ann knew of my love of computers, and so she has said, to, to the guy we'll call Mark and see if he's interested so he called me and I interviewed with the company and moved out here in 98 to work with them and started out my career as an AT and assistive technology trainer training people on how to use JAWS and other assistive technologies that are out there such as braille displays and braille translation software I did that for a number of years and now I'm basically a subject matter expert in the area of section 508 which is basically a federal law that says that any electronic and information technology either developed or procured by the government needs to be accessible to people with disabilities. I actually worked for a time for Freedom Scientific that's the manufacturer of the JAWS software for a bit and then I started working for a government agency on a contract in 2006 really doing some significant five-way work for them. So I basically assess any applications they procure or develop to ensure that they are compliant for people with disabilities and that includes not only people who are blind or visually impaired but people who might be using software such as Dragon Naturally Speaking which is speech recognition software where you talk to the PC and it does things. So you can control the PC with Dragon. So you can open files, you can dictate into files, you can compose emails. The opposite, basically, of what JAWS does, where it, it speaks to you, you speak to Dragon. Kind of, a, kind of a fun field to be in. Going back to the Dragon Boat Racing, can you tell me what row do you sit in on the boat? It varies, actually. It, it, it all depends. Um, it all depends on who's in the boat at the time and the balance of the boat because you want to make sure the boat's balanced and not balanced either one either left or right so i've sat in i've been in rows eight i've been in row six and you sit with different people depending on who's at practice that day the coach will balance the boat based on the weights of the different paddlers so the boat isn't leaning one way or the other i've actually gotten to a point where when we get in the boat you can actually tell if the boat's leaning too far to the left or too far to the right and so then the coach might have to make a change the regatta several weeks ago we had a couple paddlers who actually ended up switching sides because the boat was leaning too far to the left and so they swapped positions and that's tricky when you're on the water because you have to balance the boat which means everybody puts their paddles on the water flat to keep the boat balanced and give it a little more room to so that it doesn't tip over while the people switch positions i will tell you that ost has never capsized in the several years since they've started we've had water safety classes but we have actually never were capsized on the water itself when we're out on either in races or in practice. Everybody knows in the boat you're wearing well first of all you're wearing a PFD, you're wearing a life jacket. So even if you would capsize, you know what the procedures are to one get out from under the boat if you're trapped under it or if you're not under the boat, you can assemble and get into groups and you know your PFD will hold you up even if you can't swim. As some of our people have some issues swimming. Most of them can swim, but but the PFD is going to hold you up. You can gather up in circles and stay with everybody else. And but we've never capsized, so that's never had, we've never had to put it we've never had to put it into practice actually on the river or the or in the channel either one. But there's always that possibility. It's my understanding that you often sit toward the middle of the boat because that's where you want to put the strongest 
paddlers. The strongest paddlers are what they are what are put in what they call the engine room, which is in the middle of the boat. You want the lightest paddlers up front, and of course the stroke, which is the front right paddler, determines the rate of the boat, how how fast people paddle. But yeah, the, the middle of, the middle of paddlers are the, usually the strongest ones. So myself and Carlos and Eric Pfeiffer and Ora Miller, who I believe you've talked to already, are usually somewhere in the middle of the boat. Wrapping up, can you briefly tell me what does it mean for you being a member of this team and, and going out there and doing the Dragon Boat, practicing and racing? I like it. It's it's a, it's a fun, like I said, it's a fun event. They're a good group of people. We are the only visually impaired Dragon Boat team on the East Coast. There are two teams in Oregon, but we're the only one on the East Coast, so we're kind of setting the trend here. So it's kind of fun that we get, you know, we people see us out there and they realize that, you know, dragon boating is not only a sighted sport, but the people who are visually impaired can do it as well. Uh, we are a dragon boat team, and we're, you know, we're not, I mean, that's what it's with. We are a dragon boat team. We're, we're, not, we're not just a visually impaired dragon boat team. We're a regular dragon boat team. We just happen to be visually impaired. So it, it's fun. I like, I like going out there. I like being with the team. I like doing the races. If we win a medal, hey, great. If we don't win a medal, that's fine. It's the prospect of being out there, being in a comp- uh, in a competitive sport, being with a good group of people who will support you as well as well as long as you support them. And it's fun, and I'm looking forward to do it next year. <laughs> and I'll be back, so that's not a problem. Thanks for doing this, Mark. No problem. This was great. Excellent.